This is Jewish Board Talk with Sheree Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Driving home the other evening, I was struck by the number of men I passed sleeping under bridges and bus shelters and on the pavements. I wondered, not for the first time, who they were and how they came to be in this predicament. I'm delighted now to have with me Harriet Pillman, Professor Sarah Tolton and Chris Lunt. Harriet Pillman has recently co-produced and co-wrote a feature film via and edited an accompanying book via Untold Stories of Johannesburg. Professor Sarah Charlton is Associate Professor in the School of Architecture and Planning at Fitz University and Chris Lunt, the CFO of Madula Moho Housing Association. Thank you to all of you for joining me. Professor Charlton and Harriet, you start, you wrote an article that appeared in the Maverick Citizen about homelessness. And one of the things you did was debunk the stereotype of who the homeless are. Um, and I wonder if you can just talk about that. I know I refer to men because everybody I see are men, except for one woman that I know that lives on the street in my area. But perhaps you can just tell us who they are and how they came to be where they are. The first thing to say is that there's a, a wide variety of of people that are living unsheltered. Um, and uh, if maybe we can focus on Johannesburg, our own context uh it's 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 a, it's a great diversity of circumstances and there there are many reasons why people end up in that circumstance um but i think what was important for harriet and i in writing that article was to try and draw attention to this diversity and to say that often there's a perception that um somebody that one sees living under a bridge as, as you were describing is is somebody that's a, a drop out of from society somebody who um perhaps has a substance abuse problem um or who uh, often there's a, there's a conflation of the notion of someone living in those circumstances with criminality um people use terms like vagrant um to 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 refer to that person now it may be that there are people living on the streets who do have a substance abuse problem and I'm sure Chris can can help us understand a little bit more about that kind of trajectory and those circumstances but there are in addition to that many other people who are living in those circumstances um because of poverty because of um um circumstances of um unaffordability or some kind of shock that's happened to them uh, in their lives which which has pushed them into those circumstances and perhaps I can just give one example of that um when Harriet and I were uh, involved in some research uh, of people living along the Brompton Strait a couple of years ago um so we looked at this linear park going through a whole lot of suburbs northern suburbs Johannesburg and the various people living there one of the people that was interviewed was somebody who had been renting a backyard dwelling in Alex um at the time of xenophobic violence uh that person fled from the violence and the chaos that was happening around him and he basically felt too scared to go back and and rent a room and felt it was safer to be living in a concealed circumstances in shrubs and bushes in a public park homelessness is like on a continuum and um you can move at different levels of the continuum i'm just reading just from the article that you wrote it does seem like it's is it a permanent situation can we, people move out of it and, or into it and is it quite flexible yes well certainly the international literature talks about um the different ways in which people move in and out of uh, homelessness and that sometimes um there are situations where people are more stable in their um income levels um perhaps in their personal circumstances and perhaps in their psychological circumstances if it's if it's related to that sort of homelessness that might mean that they are, are not living unsheltered but then 
uh, something like a shock to their lives might then push them into homelessness. So there, there are those kinds of circumstances. But there's also um, an, another form of, of perhaps sort of episodic type of homelessness that, that's important to understand in our context here um, in, in South Africa. And that is that there, there may well be people who are living unsheltered uh, for certain times of the week or certain times of the month or certain times of the year. But at other times in their lives, they actually do have uh, what would be seen as a stable, conventional home. It might be that that home is too far away from where their work is for them to commute every day, and therefore they have to spend some of the time living very cheaply somewhere close to work, but they can go home over the weekend, or they can go back to a home outside of an urban area at certain times. So that's another way in which we need to understand people coming in and out of what we lump together as homelessness. Before we go into some solutions, the other thing, you mentioned that people, you gave the example of a man living in Alex who felt it safer living in the bush, yet we know that the violence, well, firstly, South Africa is an extremely violent society, but there's so much violence on the streets, I imagine, that um, homeless people are subjected to from both non-homeless and possibly potentially other homeless people. Yes, and that might get back to your point um, that you made earlier about uh, predominantly seeing men living uh, living rough rather than women. Um, I think that violence point uh, d- does point to why m- many women in very difficult circumstances are more likely to try and live in a less visible way, unsheltered. Um, but there is this phenomenon called hidden homelessness, where you might not be seeing the woman on the streets, but perhaps she is living in very difficult or problematic circumstances as an alternative to living in the streets, um, maybe living with an abusive partner or, um, or uh, camping on somebody else's floor. Um, for example, a, a student of ours who did some very interesting research in the inner city of Johannesburg a few years ago was looking at multi-occupancy flats in Hilbert, where lots of people are renting a small bit of space. And in those kind of circumstances, there was a woman was living on the streets, but people in the flat said to her, come, you can live, uh, you can sleep in the passageway of our flat. So you're off the street, but you've, you can lie down in the, in the passageway. And so, but that, you wouldn't really consider that person to have a stable, uh, functional home, but that's a form of sort of hidden homelessness. Madula Mohoho Housing Association, what do you offer? I think first of all, let me just say the common link between the three of us is that uh, we we all work for the Janusburg Homelessness Network as volunteers. We have been looking at um, you know homelessness for I think we've been established now for three years, um, and I think you know, what we are offering is we've been looking at the problem, and uh, in the past year, particularly during the crisis, we've been working with the city to see if we can come up with solutions. It's been a difficult, uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. We, we have come up with some products that we believe can work. So things from something as simple as having ablutions around the city so that people have a place to wash, safe spaces, uh, something that's been done in Cape Town. Um, we believe that we could have that. So it's like a halfway place between living on the street and living in a shelter. We need more shelters. The city only has three shelters. And then, of course, the thing that I really believe that can work is more rehab centers. We've got to get people off the street. Um, and the only way that can do that is an intense program for, a, you know, three, four months to get them off the street. 
Um, and, uh, you know, as the Homeless Network and also as the Janusburg Homeless Task Team, um, which is the collaboration I mentioned between, you know, the, the network and the city and the private sector, we, we're starting to look at some projects in, in, in that space. Medulla Moho, um, who I work for, we're involved in um, social housing, which is the next step up the ladder, as it were. So maybe, Harriet, just after lockdown happened, people spoke about, and I hate, I hate the word, the term, rounding up kind of, of homeless people and putting them somewhere. And, and Durban seemed to do extremely well in that, and I've had um, Mr. Raymond Perrier talk about it. And I personally get a thrill every time, I think it's Paddy Harper writes in the Man and Guardian and updates us about what has happened to the homeless people in Durban. Joburg obviously has not been as successful, but does that provide a blueprint for going forward? Well, let me just comment on the Durban thing. I mean, I think they had set up their own task team kind of three years before lockdown. So when lockdown happened, there were already existing relationships and there was a particular project that they'd been trying to get off the ground for three years, which took three days um, to get sorted. So unfortunately in Johannesburg, we, we weren't in that same position. Um, we had, had to kind of start from scratch and get those networks in place. But we are now a year down the line, and I think we are starting to move together and starting to understand each other and the constraints and what we need to do. So I think we've still got a long road ahead, but we are at least talking to each other and working together. You talk about the Homeless Network, and one of the things that really struck me about what was happening in Durban is the interfaith role that people played. So it was kind of like the Catholics were providing breakfast, the Hindus lunch, and the Jews, you know, suffer kind of thing. And, and that really had... <laughs> Uh, it was that kind of bringing people together. And when we saw the lockdown, we saw a lot of initiatives, a lot of cans developing, a lot of social interaction, people wanting to make a difference. And I think there's still a sense of how can we help? Maybe there's a fatigue, you know, that every time you stop at a robot anywhere in Joburg, there's somebody begging. And you, as ordinary South African citizens, how can we help and what should we do? I mean, I think there's a, a range of levels of help. Of course, emergency supplies are important. If people are hungry, getting some food for the day is really important. I think being treated with dignity in some way is also really important, that they don't feel that they are delinquents um, and don't belong. So I do think all of that is important. But I also think that that jobs you know, people are where they are, as Sarah has said, because they don't have another solution and have slipped down that slide of homelessness, which they move in and out of. You've moved to the suburbs because there was a paint job and then that falls through and then you think you'll get another small piece of work um, and so you stay there. And I, I remember one person on the on the Parks Project had been living there for 10 years um, he had come to Johannesburg and never been able to move from there and was too ashamed to tell his family. So I do think we have to face homelessness in the context of unemployment. And, and as South Africans also think about the, the bigger question. You've explained the complexity of homelessness. And for somebody, it might be a xenophobic. For somebody, it might just be a job loss. For somebody, it might be drug addictions. Okay. How do we help? What is the first step, though? Do, do we identify different needs and help everybody differently. Uh, they're almost like colonies, and I imagine they do it for safety, colonies of homelessness. You see in Rosebank, you know, Oxford Road, groups of people there. And what is the first step that we don't get overwhelmed? I mean, I'll just take a first step and then hand over to my, my, my colleagues. You know, I think one of the things is 
is to support organizations like Chris's. You know, they understand what's needed. And as I understand from the Homeless Network, everybody is really struggling for funds. So these are people who are working in the sector. They have thought deeply about how to address the issue and are trying to organize people both practically and short-term and long-term. So I would say that to business is actually support the organizations that are trying to address the problem. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Harriet. I think, you know, in particular uh, in Johannesburg, there's several NGOs, but sort of two that come to mind. One is MES. They've been in Hillbra for over 30 years. They've always had phenomenal uh, programs, you know, for the homeless, you know, the whole way through, you know, from shelters, et cetera, et cetera, and training and the whole bit. Um, and then there's another one in Randburg, which is Josh. They're also trying to establish themselves as a NGO for the homeless. So, yeah, absolutely agree with that, that we need to support the NGOs that are out there. And, um, you know, we need the support of, you know, we, we see it as a collaboration between public and private sector to work together to finding solutions. Harriet, I think you mentioned also dignity. And it would seem like Joburg residents are divided into those who feel very empathetic towards the homeless and, you know, can't drive past without giving them something. And those who see them, I think, Chris, you used the word vagrant, you know, people who should be pushed aside. All our parks in my area have been gated off to disallow the homeless to sleep there. What percentage do you think are empathetic and what do you think percentage are hostile? And how do we do more education to, to provide these men and women with dignity? I can't give the specific percentages, but, but, um, I think it's an interesting point, this kind of division between who looks on this issue sympathetically and who, who is really, um, uh, repelled by it, perhaps. But, but I take your point, Cherise, that you were, you were making that there's a bit of fatigue. Uh, amongst the more privileged because of just the enormity of the, of this issue. But, but uh, to go back to what, what can be done about it and what we should be doing first, I think a parallel strategy is the awareness raising. So, you know, a conversation like this, I think is really important. Um, but, but also media articles, also the kind of work that Harriet's been doing through um, movies and books. If anyone hasn't seen the movie via, I found it an incredibly powerful depiction of how circumstances can can um, just force you to or require you to kind of slip into homelessness and you know it's 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 a really compelling sort of set of stories that brings home the kind of point that there but for the grace of, of whoever go all of us actually and i think building that awareness of of the precarity of 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 life in our very harsh cities with enormous unemployment and uh, structural unemployment. I mean, for many people, the prospect of ever getting a job is, is, is a pipe dream. It's just never going to happen. So what do we expect people to do but to try and do peace work, informal work, bits and pieces? And given our apartheid city where um, uh, places of, of cheap rental or places to find uh, a, a, a bit of shelter that one can afford is, is likely to be very far from where the economic opportunities of the city are, and then there's going to be a costly commute to get from one to the other, and that might be unsafe, waiting for a taxi late at night, et cetera, et cetera. There are many issues associated with transport. That combination of 
the spatial organization of where it's possible to get cheap accommodation, the transport and where the economic opportunities are really stack against anybody trying to improve their circumstances. And this kind of layer, structural layering of what causes many people to slip into homelessness is something that we all need to conscientize ourselves about. So when we employ somebody for a little bit of piecework for a day and we pay them a very minimal amount of money to do that, where do we think that person is going to sleep that night? How do we think they're going to get home? When we're building a very big building in Santon and we're employing a group of laborers to mix the dagger at, at a very minimal daily rate and it's only going to be this week's work and not next week again, where do we think they're going to sleep uh, and, and come back to, to work on that construction site? So I think conscientizing all of us to this complexity that, that produces and reinforces um, homelessness is, is a really important part of the story. We could talk so much. There's so much more to be said. I mean, it's not, this is not a 15 minute conversation, but thank you for starting it off. I would like to have you all back again, um, perhaps in two months time, just to maybe come back and take stock and look at where we are. By then it'll be midwinter and I do not know where they find the resilience to get through these cold nights. My, my heart actually bleeds for them. Chris, um, perhaps you could give us contact details if anybody would like to contribute, learn more or anything like that. Yeah, I would suggest, um, you, Pick us up. Um, we do have a website uh, for the Johannesburg Homelessness Network. I think you can see what we do on that site. That would be the best place to start. Great. Thank you very much. That was Chris Lund, Professor Sarah Tolton and Harriet Perlman, helping towards dealing with homelessness in Johannesburg. Thank you to all three of you for joining me. Pleasure. Thanks.